Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. Time for another Friday bonus episode, and I'm kind of shocked that I got this guy. My guest is Wayne Wang, a filmmaker who helped spur the American indie revolution with movies like Slamdance, Eat a Bowl of Tea, and his Miramax double feature Smoke and Blue in the Face. He's also made studio films like The Joy Luck Club, Anywhere But Here, and Made in Manhattan, and he moves back and forth pretty much whenever he feels the need. His latest feature, Coming Home Again, played Tiff in 2019, and it stars Justin Chan as Chang Rae Lee, a writer who moves back to San Francisco to tend to his dying mother, played by Jackie Chung. It's now available in virtual cinemas in the U.S. and on Vimeo On Demand in Canada from Outsider Pictures. It's quiet and it's devastating, not unlike the movie Wayne wanted to talk about here. He picked Jean Dielman, 23 Key to Commerce, 1080 Bruxelles, Chantal Ackerman's singular 1973 study of a middle-aged woman cycling through her daily routine. Running three hours and 20 minutes and featuring a performance by the magnificent Delphine Segrig, it's a singular dramatic accomplishment, locking us in with a woman as she performs the duties expected of her, until she doesn't. This is someone else's movie. Well, I I saw it when I was going to film school, and it really impressed me uh, in that it it had a whole different way of telling a story. It doesn't have your normal narrative, the normal drama. It's basically three days of a mother uh, uh, rituals through the day, basically cleaning the house, preparing the meal for her son, well, taking care of the son, basically. And then in the afternoon, she sometimes has these uh, clients uh, who come over and have sex with her. But that's all kind of almost off camera. Uh, But on the last day, you know, everything kind of goes wrong a little bit. A button falls off of her son's shirt when she's ironing it. She drops a clean spoon on the floor. I mean, little things that throw off her rhythm. And she kind of goes a little crazy from there. Um, And the film is similar to Coming Home Again in that it's all a a static, wider master shot. And it stays for a long time, actually much longer than Coming Home Again. And you really see, you have to kind of look for your own rhythm and look for things within the frame. And it establishes, you know, that ritual and that, that, that life that she has. Um, uh, It's always impressed me a lot in, in how brave and, and, and the choices that Chantal made to, uh, to make this film. Um, So when I was doing Coming Home Again, I was thinking kind of in the same same mode. Um, I'm deeply also much more influenced by uh, Ozu, which has the same kind of tone and pacing in a way, um, where Ozu also uses uh, a lot of empty uh, spaces and empty objects, which he calls the emotions of the of the environment uh, that that's collected from the characters. So between those two, I think I came up with uh, my inspiration for coming home again. So anyway, John yeah. Dillman and uh, and Ozu, obviously, yeah. It's an interesting. I I hadn't really connected. I don't know why. I, I've seen John Dillman. Uh-huh. I'm gonna say I think I've watched it in full 
twice, once theatrically and once when the, no, no, three times when the Blu-ray came out, the DVD as well. And then once in the theaters in the late nineties, maybe. And every time it's, I'd never connected it to Ozu until you just mentioned that. But of course the, like he uses the same, he uses environmental shots yeah. the same way. And right. Ackerman just stretches it out even longer and longer. Yes. Ozu's films are slow, but they're short. Yeah. And this just gives you when you and when also has less less drama in a way. I mean, yes. the drama is in the repetition and in the ritual that she goes through. Yeah, yeah, but there's nothing overtly when you try to describe it to people, or when I've tried to describe it to people in the past, I get the same thing, which is, oh, that sounds really interesting. It's how long, and you can't. <laughs> You can't explain it to people, right? You have to experience it to understand how time works in the film. Yes. And the and the use of of space and and or not space, but the use of spacing out the narrative into the circular rhythms that she creates for for us, the audience, not right. for the character. Yeah. Um I described it a couple of months ago just sort of half jokingly as the first time loop movie, but I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. It's, well, also, also for me, and it, this is somewhat related to coming home again. Also for me, it's the acceptance of the of the silence and the pacing, without a lot of words, without a lot of action. You know, these days we're so used to seeing oh, there's 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 dialogue, there's drama, there's this going on. Um, I remember going to see my mother when she was towards the end of her being sick, and I would just go sit with her in the courtyard in the sun, usually if there is any, and we would sit there and not talk. Because every time we talk, it gets into, you know, a lot of lot of frustrations from my, my end, at least. Mm. We didn't talk for an hour and we just sat in silence. And nice si that silence spoke even more in the end. Yeah. Um, and I think the silence is very much part of John Dealman even though she has a lot of ambient sounds, uh, but it's also kind of a, 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 a certain kind of silence. And my film also has a lot of silence with the ambience again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Coming Home Again, because it's about palliative care, uh -huh. it struck me as being very, um, there's a tentativeness to the interactions, even when people are carrying decades of resentment or just issues, not even necessarily resentments, but just the inability to, to connect with someone you've lived your whole life with. Yeah. I, I found that really powerful, but that the fact that someone is ill changes the air in the room I found in my life. You know, when yes. you're, when you have that sort of, it's not foreboding exactly, especially at the point of uh, the illness and the story that you're telling. It's just about, accepting that this is something you, nobody can change and the, the yeah. resignation has its own weight, I guess, emotionally. Yeah. Uh, Jean Dielman doesn't have that. It builds towards something that we can't understand, which is different, but, but equally compelling, I think. And, you know, you were mentioning that um, uh, coming home again is, is influenced by Jean Dielman, but it's also almost a third the length. So you're dealing with all of this time that's compressed into 86 minutes Mm -hmm. uh, and you're, the film, it takes place over a matter of weeks, but of course it's encapsulating the decades of the relationship of, of, a, right. of a mother and a son. Jean Dielman tells us all of these things, but it takes place, as you said, over a handful of days in much more time. And that's just right. such a, a fascinating contradiction that you can make an hour feel like a day 
if you want to. And so many filmmakers choose to go for more rapid fire cutting and and just more aggressive storytelling. And, And your film moves back and forth in time as well. And you still get the sense that you're experiencing the totality of these lives. Yeah. Um, and well, so, yeah, how do you arrive I, at that? I went through so many years working on studio films. I'm not that I, I, I don't like them. I learned a lot doing them. But, you know, in those films, towards the end of the editing, I mean, the studio will always say, well, there are all these scenes where at the end of it, the, the characters are not saying anything and nothing is happening, cut it out. But once you realize when you do that a lot and you cut out all those scenes in the film, the film doesn't breathe anymore. It just keeps pushing it along. Um, and then I, I was feeling slowly towards the last you know, part of my career there, I was finding myself kind of not always tired, I couldn't sleep, I, you know, I had headaches and I went to see my doctor. My doctor said, I, you're not breathing right. You're not breathing. And that's the same thing about the film. You, la- you gotta let the film breathe. And that's what I learned very early on with Jean Dillman. Even though it's much longer and it gets a little boring, but you accept it and you have to learn how to breathe with it, you know? And that's coming home again. I, I'll, I'll tell an audience, you know, just just go with the rhythm and, and, and breathe. Um, let the film breathe with you. Yeah, it trains you to watch it in a way. Both films do, I, I would think. Yeah, yeah. I think Jean Dillman trains you to a certain routine uh, so that when the routine breaks down a little bit, you begin to feel it. Because otherwise, yeah. I think it'll, it'll come too, too dramatic almost. Anyway. Yeah. It has to be, yeah. yeah, it has to be so subtle in the way that it starts to crack, right? Because yeah. otherwise you just shock, it would be yeah. too much of a shock. Yeah. And the But at yeah. the same time, I'm, I'm watching, I mean, the pandemic has taught, has, has, has brought me to serial TV. I didn't used to watch any TV, but, but I've been watching mostly European ones, but still they're, they're really well done and I'm completely sucked in by them. I mean, uh, series like like Le Bureau, um, or actually an American one, which I find quite interesting is Ozark. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of it gets a little over dramatic, but generally speaking, I would say it's some of the better, you know, American writing. I mean, besides Soprano and Madman, I mean, I would put this one pretty close to those other two. Anyway, um, That's interesting. Um, Athena, uh, Rachel Sangari brought up Ozark on the podcast not two months ago, three months ago, I uh-huh. guess, in July, and okay. said that she was similarly sucked right in and had binged most of it in um, in Georgia in quarantine. Right. <laughs> I wonder if people are just discovering it all of a sudden. Yeah. It's the, the show of the moment. Um, I was going to ask if you'd seen uh, Patriot, which is an Amazon series that only ran two seasons. I have but... not seen that. Maybe I will write it down and I will... Look into it. Yeah, it's similarly dependent on time. It it's uh-huh. just it stretches itself out in its in its incidents, and um, it, it takes a great deal of leisure time getting to where it's going. But it always feels it, it always feels conscious of its yeah. of its length of its running time. And storytelling now 
as yeah, as you said, the the impulse is to go to high speed, cut, 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 and get to the end as fast as you can. But something gets lost. Um, uh, Jean Dielman wouldn't be half as interesting at half the length. I think you would just right. wonder why you were sitting right. there. Yeah. Um, and Ackerman just had this singular perception of what the audience could stand. Right. I mean, yeah. um, thinking about something like Letter from Home, where it's deceptively banal almost, and then you mm-hmm. realize that the, the context is what makes it so powerful, or um, or uh, the Rendezvous of Anna, where again it's a series of small repetitive sequences. Just the locations change, but they don't really, and it's up to us to figure out how the character changes from room to room. Right. Um, yeah, as a storytelling conceit, it's it's a big leap uh, to to isolate an audience with someone, and and as you pointed out, to do it as statically as possible. Right, and, and, and also to- basically one location. I mean, mm-hmm. we, I don't think we well we went outside once in the beginning. Before, yes, where 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 uh, he runs up the hill. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Otherwise, yeah. we we never get to leave the house. Jean never gets to leave the house. Right. It's um, the world keeps coming to her yes. and maybe that's why she has to destroy it. But I've seen it, you know, a number of times and I still don't really know why I know why. I mean, you have a sense of why, right. but I love the fact that we are denied any kind of monologue or, um, you know, title screen that just explains everything. What was psycho was what? 13 years earlier and they felt the need to stick on that epilogue with the psychiatrist explaining everything for six minutes. Yeah, I know. I know. And Ackerman well, just, yeah, the, that's the beauty of, 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 of John Dillman is that you, you can feel it, but it's not that specific. I mean, everyone can feel the frustration of, of what's lacking in their lives. And you use uh, almost your routine as a way of, of denial you know, there's there's a bit of all of that in coming home again too. So mm. anyway, uh, it's it's so interesting. You know, um, that's why the same thing. I mean, I shot coming home again in sequence, every scene in sequence. Really, uh, that's yeah, because it was small enough. It was one location. I was able to do it. Uh, I I remember, you know, Terrence Malick actually had the luxury on on the Ben Affleck. Film. He actually built two sets exactly the same, so he could shoot in the morning on one and then in the afternoon on the other because the light changed and he used natural light. Uh-huh. Anyway, I didn't have that luxury, but I still could kind of control it enough to shoot it in sequence. But I remember Justin, Justin feeling he kept coming to me and said, "Oh God, I'm feeling so so full of tension and nothing is going on." I go just. Just go with it, go with it. And then towards the end, he just couldn't take it anymore. And he just blew up and, and let go. Wow. Yeah. I can, I can feel that. I mean, it, it's, there are films that feel airless that, mm-hmm. you know, where everybody is so poised and so specifically blocked and all the act, the lighting is just so that there's no room for life to enter the frame. And Coming home again doesn't have that. Coming home has has a much more. Uh, it has a heartbeat that it's erratic. It's it's yeah. you're constantly afraid of the release of tension. Right. And when it um, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I guess it would be. I don't want to, I will go into the ending for the, for the sake of the audience, but when it happens in the film, it's, it's really uncomfortable in, in yeah. for a viewer. It's a, it feels almost too intimate that I'm seeing something I shouldn't see. Well, the, the, the moment that it was really building up for Justin was when the mother towards sort of the end before the, the very last part, when they're preparing the, the final part of the meal, she actually says to him, I probably shouldn't have sent you away after all of this, right? And, yeah. he, and he goes, why? And, and she goes, you know, because I didn't know I was going to die. And I think Justin was ready to throw the whole rice cooker at her at that <laughs> point. <laughs> anyway, but those, it was kind of interesting watching that, that build very slowly. Yeah. Well, what's it like to be on the set for something like that? And, you know, past a certain point, there's really very little you can do when the scene is happening. Do you know when it's happening? Do you know when you're getting it? Can you feel it in the room when it's working properly? I can feel it in the room uh, very well because it's so, again, so few people, so quiet. And we didn't relight a lot. We shot pretty much from the master's uh, static point of view. So there's no disruption, so to speak. You're really focused on the scene, on the characters, and on that moment. Uh, so I think in that sense, it was very concentrated and, and undiluted. And I really enjoyed working that way. Um, and there were days where things weren't working, and there are always those days. And in normal studio shooting, you just plow through it and just do something that's wrong, that you know it's wrong. You go home at night and you just can't sleep. But here we were able, I think there were a couple of days because we had such a short schedule, we were able to just say, it's not right, let's not shoot today. Let's figure out what the problem is. Uh, and, and then we came back the next day and, and did something a little different and changed that and, and it started to work, you know? So. Uh -huh. You can't force something that's sort of artificial and not right onto, onto, a, onto a film like this coming home again, which is something I really appreciate. Whereas with a, with a Hollywood film, you can kind of fake it, so to speak, through it. Yeah, I mean, you've got enough money to fix it in post, right? Yeah. Like, or at least yeah. to convince yourself that you can. Yeah, or you have so much coverage, you can kind of cut around it or something. But here, it, this is what it is. The scene is, is this. That's it. Yeah. yeah. I just, again, I, you keep coming back to the reality that there is nothing so powerful as a person on a, on a, in a frame, on a screen, just showing you who they are. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's like, yeah. I think Justin has that quality about him. He... He really wasn't afraid. I mean, you know, the end scene where he climbs over the mother, pulls her uh, hairpiece off and climbs all over her. That's a pretty brave thing, too. I mean, yeah. you don't, you know, the mother is almost like Mother Mary. You never kind of fuck her up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, there's a certain um, kind of. Yeah. Uh, but it reminds me of, of, a, of a Michael Haneke film also where, you know, I think it was Isabel Huppert who really loves and hates her mother. And towards the end, she just went, went after the mother in the bed. They even sleep in the same bed every night. And in the end, she kind of climbs over the mother and chokes her and tries to kill her. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, 
Anyway, I'm I'm diverting now. No, but no, that, it's it's all relevant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Haneke and Huppert have that rapport. They've worked together so many times, and yeah. um, and Ackerman and and uh, Delphine Seyrig had to build that for that. Yeah. For How do you talk someone into this project? I mean, just. It's it's one of those things I haven't really seen any any writing on the relationship that you have to form for something like that where an actor has to trust the director so much that she'll do nothing just exist in that yeah. frame for well, all that time. I when I cast them I didn't say this kind of thing but once we started shooting I literally said to both of them I don't want you to do anything please just let your character be in the moment. I don't want you to do anything. And with Asian actors, that's really difficult. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and I think both of them kind of understood it once I said that. And they relaxed so that they're not trying to perform every day, mm. you know, or not, not try to perform in every scene. I, I, I really learned that through the years is that, you know, if actors don't try to act, they're really good actors, most of them. <laughs> the ones you can just uh, so that, be. Yeah, just be and just do the action and, and say your lines, you know. Um, so anyway, that, that was something that I think was kind of crucial. And I learned that previously in another film called Thousand Years of Good Prayers. And I had really good actors again, and they were for... For days, I everything was wrong, and I couldn't figure out why it was wrong, um, until I just started, you know, taking the older man and just say, "I'm not going to shoot any dialogue. I just want you to play like Jacques Tati and do things and try to be a little funny, but not try too hard and just do do things that are that are wrong, you know." And and that helped me get there in that. You know, they weren't acting. Uh, they weren't trying to be something. Right. Has that evolved as a strategy or is it does it only work for certain projects? I haven't, I learned that probably through after working in Hollywood. I haven't tried that as a strategy back in a studio film or or, or a bigger budget film. I have a feeling it, 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 will not work, <laughs> except if you have really smart actors. I mean, I remember every single actress or actor brought their own uh, coaching teacher. So they had their acting teacher there and the acting teacher to make their money, they have to tell them, oh, this is your motivation and psychology here. And this is what you need to do. And they're, they're like, they're like, puppets trying to 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 act that character so if i went up to to jennifer lopez and said jennifer don't do anything i mean i'm going to get into a big battle with producers and then the acting coach and all of the acting coach was supposed to be one of the best in in new york so i don't know i mean i'd love to try that <laughs> but i know ray fines will be on my side because rafe was Rafe's whole thing was that in the morning he would do his yoga and then he would do his voice. So he would do this, 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 this drone thing to get his voice and get his throat uh, loose. And then he didn't do anything. 
The thing that was really important for Rafe was right before we shoot, he wanted to build his character from the exterior, not from the interior. I mean, the, the actor's workshop is all about the interior. Rafe just wanted, what did my clothes look like? What did my shoes feel? What glasses should I wear? He was building it. I couldn't understand it in the beginning, but later I, I got it, which is he began to see his character through what he looked like. Anyway. Yeah. So the choice is externally. Yeah, I get that. I mean, people talk about period films where once they're in costume, they can better understand how to move, how to feel, just because they couldn't relate to it as contemporary yeah. people. Yeah. That's fascinating. I, 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 the process yeah. of actors just is something so alien to me. Um, and I've, I've talked to hundreds of them over the years, maybe even thousands at this point. I've been doing this for 30 odd years. And um, I keep coming back to something Robert Duvall said once, which was just that there is no trick. You just have to find yourself in the character and then be that guy. Yeah. And yeah. he said it like it was so simple. And it's just like, yeah, okay. But but that's that doesn't explain all the things that your face and your body have done in these movies that are so radically different that, you know, who's the real, where, if he, his, his theory would seem to suggest that if you watch all of Robert Duvall's movies, you'll find Robert Duvall. Yeah. But I've met Robert Duvall and he's none of those people. So it's just, <laughs> it's fascinating to me. Yeah. Well, same thing. I remember Walter Matthau was interviewed after he won the Academy Award for one of those roles. And the, the, the person was asking him, so you were so good in that scene. It was so emotional. What did you do? What did you think about? How did you act that scene? Because, and he goes, you know, I was uh, thinking about all the laundry I have to do later on. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I understood this. It is a kind of magic. I just don't it get it. It is a kind of magic, you know. I, it is a kind of magic. You do need... You do need experience you do need to understand the characters you know that's why you know uh, again duval was talking you you have to you have to do your homework and then you get on set and you, you you try not to do anything you just try to be the character in that situation yeah with with coming home again you have justin tron playing a real person uh, uh -huh. or a version of that a version of that person of that. and so is there an additional weight there for him Does he, did he you know, did he, did he get him. notes from the real person he didn't he didn't uh uh he didn't care what the writer was like chang Wei lee in this case mm -hmm. he wanted he saw the character in a certain way and and we talked about it a little bit and he said i'm just gonna do do this my way because i'm not chang Wei lee and i can't try to Get inside Chang Rei Li's head, um, and Chang Rei didn't didn't mind much either. Uh, he said basically, "This is biographical. You guys can take it and and do whatever interpretation you want." Uh, I think maybe Chang Rei was a little bit surprised by the ending and how kind of. Um, how kind of explosive it got, because in the short story, it was basically uh, everything just happened. The mother threw up a little bit and that, that was it. And for, the, for a film, it would be too flat. So he actually came in at that point when we got to the end and he 
helped us write some of that stuff too. So, oh wow! So yeah. you're getting just and and of course the short story version of it is. I mean, I've read it. It's just elliptical, and it's really more about feeling. And you don't because you're not dealing with the nuts and bolts of it. You know, at no yeah. point in the short story do you have to contend with the fact that there's an IV unit sitting in the middle of the room between these people. Yeah, it's uh, God. What that would have been like for him. Okay, so you you're telling a fictional version of this person's story, but he's coming in to help you figure out how to end it. Do yes. you do you feel an additional level of responsibility when that happens, or is it just too absurd to I, contemplate? I do. I I myself was much more conscious of that, and he had seen a rough cut of the film too, and I think he he wasn't quite sure about what he saw. So, and I can understand that because it is so biographical and it is a little different. Um, so I was conscious of it, um, but at the same time, I wanted to push it the way uh, Justin and Jackie has sort of pushed the characters. And so actually, the, I remember one morning, Chang Rei came in to the set and then uh, Jackie and, and Justin, we all talked and we kind of got to a point where we all agreed to disagree kind of. And then, but we got what we needed from that meeting and then, you know, went on from there. So it's just about I mean, building it I out. Would say, I would say the ending part, the ending maybe 10, 15 minutes was much more created uh, on the moment. Really? Yeah. Well, that was a direction that we all knew where it was heading. And that's where, again, um, you know, I, I, my relationship with my parents is not all hunky-dory. I mean, I, I love them. I respect them. They love me maybe a bit too much, especially my mother. But there are, there's a lot of, you know, frustration and unresolved feelings and things like that. And I knew that that's where it was kind of taking me with this piece too. And I can't just uh, be respectful to what was written on the page because like you said, it's much more elliptical, it's abstract, it's it's uh, more like a poet poem than anything else. So in this case, I was building towards uh, a stronger feeling that I didn't, didn't put my finger on consciously and I used the actors to get to that point and then we let it explode that way. Yeah, which again comes back to Jean Dielman, right? But you can do the same thing if you're careful about your structure, you can end it ambivalently, ambiguously, eerily, as long right. as you, as long as the path is set, as long as the audience has been brought along to that point, we'll accept whatever you choose to give us. Yeah. And the, you know, the final question on the podcast is always the same, which is, is there anything of Jean Dielman that you've used in your own film, but we've just spent half an hour talking about that explicitly. So it yeah, feels like. I, I think that there's another thing that I, that I used a lot is like in Jean Dielman, oftentimes the main character would step out of frame and it'll be an empty frame. Mm -hmm. And you can still hear the ambient sound. Sometimes it's her doing something outside of frame or it was just silence. And the, the empty frame was so powerful to me too. And that's also relates again, back to Ozu. I mean, I used a lot of empty frames in coming home again. Uh, empty frames that sort of contain all the, all the frustrations, the emotions of the characters, empty frames that, 
that sort of contain the world itself uh, that you can read into it. I mean, I, I, I really more and more so after doing the big storytelling films, it's to kind of not try to figure out what the audience want, but also give them kind of more a canvas where they can, they can make what they want to make. Uh, that's difficult, you know? Yeah. But I, 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 I find that, that films have not challenged the audience in that way at all. And, and I think, you know, even going back to the Jean-Luc Godard days where he, he went overboard, but there were some films in his career where he was really trying to change the way he told the story, the way he used the image. And I still believe in that, that you, 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 you want, there's so many different ways you can literally make a film and tell a story or not tell a story or use the narrative that I think it's important to explore them in some way uh, without getting overly indulgent. So that's kind of the, 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 the balance. And sometimes I feel looking at a film like Jean Dillman and whatnot, I feel like I, I may have learned too much about how to make a film so that I have to unlearn all that. It's the same thing as actors telling them not to act. I'm, I, I have to learn to not know how to make a film and just, just you know, trust my instincts more to go back to what's more, more raw, you know? So that's something that's really more and more important as I get older. Yeah, shake off the past and yeah. find something new. Yeah. My thanks to Wayne Wang, whose excellent new drama, Coming Home Again, is available to stream today at Virtual Cinemas in the U.S. and on Vimeo On Demand in Canada. You can find the specifics at outsiderpictures.us. Thanks also to Kelly Hargreaves. She knows what she did. Wayne's not on Twitter, but you can find Jean Dielman on Blu-ray and DVD in the Criterion Collection and streaming on the Criterion Channel, along with a number of Chantal Ackerman's other films. It's also available on Apple TV and streaming on Canopy in the U.S. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com, where in addition to writing about film and television, I'm hosting a bunch of podcasts these days. Go check them out. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it, or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're at it. Stay inside. Watch movies, wear a mask if you go out. I'll see you next time.